Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 509, uh, recording today live, Wednesday, October the 11th, 2017. This is the podcast to do with music technology and all the other things around it, electronic music instruments, drum machines, synthesizers, controllers, software, all that kind of stuff. So it's all to do, all to play for, all to watch. We're about an hour or so of this show. Uh, if you want to stay tuned, uh, please do. Uh, and subscribe to the channel. You should get informed when we stream live, because obviously we're streaming live now. So obviously you'll be available uh, later on YouTube. I want to say thank you to our show sponsors, uh, Isotope, who are providing a prize this week. In fact, we're getting on to Ozone 8, which is actually quite uh, apt, because I think that's one of the topics this week. So, Awesome. I uh, want to say hello to all our guests. Uh, we'll start with, uh, let's start with Mr. Rich Hilton. We haven't had him for a little while. How are you doing, Rich? Rich, of course, keyboard player with Chic, engineer, player, all those things. How are you? Muted, even. <laughs> ah, straight off the bat. Straight, straight off, the bat. off the bat. Take a drink. Everybody <laughs> have a shot. Um, Excellent. I'm good, thank you. Very well. Happy Excellent. to be Glad here. Glad to hear it. Uh, happy New Year to everybody too. In case uh, we'd forgotten to mention it, uh, good no, to have I you said aboard. Happy to be here, but that's oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my hearing is getting, going getting there, worse. It's my age. Are. It's my age. Anyway, Rich, lovely to have you, uh, and I uh, look forward to hearing what you say later. Uh, yeah, acting my age. That's right. And uh, we've also got Mr. Steve Hillier from uh, who's coming in from Brighton. Obviously, uh, Steve Hillier, stevehillier.net for all things Steve. Uh, Steve, uh, founder of Dubstar, uh, educator, engineer, DJ, f- producer, songwriter, all of those things. How are you, Steve? Uh, I'm good, thanks. It's uh, It's been a busy day so far. The um, I'd started my, uh, I do just one university course at the moment, and uh, it's been really f- fun. I've been talking about creativity all day, and it seems like, uh, well, that's what the students want to be. So I think it's all going to work out. Excellent. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. So uh, a busy, a busy multifunction day for you. Uh, Also, we have Mr. Gaz Williams from uh, Bristol. Gaz Williams, producer, bass player, music technologist there in his attic studio. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, Really had a lot of fun at the weekend at uh, Synthfest with with, with you, Nick. Um, It was really cool, wasn't it? I mean, there was incredible turnout um loads of people there and the thing i found really exciting well i say exciting was just how excited everybody was there was a really positive happy feeling there and it was uh, i don't know it was really exciting to see so many people with big smiles on their faces just everybody really enjoying it and it it really kind of struck me how much sort of our world of synths and music technology just seems to be growing and growing i went to synthfest last year which had lots of fun but i mean this year it was like wow i think twice as many I think, people yeah i think um, it was i think it was like 30 40% bigger this year yeah they said so it was um I don't know. I just thought it was uh, really, really cool to see so many happy people. And thanks to everybody who came up and said lovely things. It was uh, it was really, yeah, really, that's really always brilliant. nice. Great, great mm. for ego polishing the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> the public events. I want to say I, I don't remember all of you. I was a bit spaced out, to be honest, because we had to get up very early and I wasn't feeling my best. So if I was uh, in any way uh, non-responsive, I do apologise. But it was nice to see all of you. And at one point, I think, Gaz, we had a queue of uh, selfie takers, didn't we? <laughs> oh, it was brilliant! It was so it was so much fun. But I mean, you know, as I say, the, I think the the whole kind of spirit, the community spirit, was uh, uh, was really super. And yeah, I just really felt dead chuffed to be there. 
Yeah, it was jolly good fun. Uh, while I'm here, I want to take a chance to plug our merch. I'm drinking from the uh, Sonic State, one of the Sonic State logo mugs. There are multiple designs now available. And I'm also, through coincidence, also branded up on the T-shirt front. So I'm wearing the T-shirt too. So I am, I'm fully branded. I haven't got any other T-shirt, any other uh, Sonic State uh, garmentry uh, branded, although I suppose we could consider doing maybe boxers or something like that. Although I think that's perhaps, you know, we'll stay away from that kind of stuff anyway. So um, yeah, it's been um, it's been a fun week. Uh, I've just finished. For those of you watching the show preview, I've just put up the or I haven't put up, but I was showing a preview of the Profit Rev Two review, which I've just done. Uh, and also, I forgot to mention last week, Gaz did uh, the Machina Mark Three review, which you should definitely check out. That's been going very well, and people seem to appreciate your take on it. So uh, thanks for that, Gaz. And uh, there's more stuff coming too. Um, but I, I think what we'll probably do first, I th- let's start because this was one that Rich sent in, and it's kind of a as they are a show sponsor. So I think we should just do this now. So I'll play it. This is the news of not only Ozone 8, but also Neutron 2, which kind of opens up the whole kind of master assistant and mix assistant. And they've added a bunch of new features, uh, one of which was tonal balance. So the, the idea is I think they're using kind of not, I'm not sure if it's AI, but machine learning to kind of like suggest starting points for mastering sessions and also help you to recognize areas where there may be uh, problems as it'll do frequency analysis and you've got these kind of bands depending on the type of music you use those the bands show you the uh, um, the range of frequency you know volume of those energy and those frequencies per mix that would be compared to thousands and thousands of other tracks in a similar kind of frequency spectrum Lots and lots of new features. In fact, what I've got, uh, Microsoft's tonal balance, uh, track referencing. Now I think load up to 11 tracks to reference from. It also communicates with other instances of Neutron for fixing things, particularly on a mix, so you can see what's happening. And spectral shaping, which I think is only available in Mars. I won't play the whole thing, but um, this, I mean, as we know, Isotope do tend to kind of um, take the take a particular tool that they're good at and sort of own the space a little bit. And I know, uh, Gaz, you've been a, a fan of Ozone for a long time, but I'm going to come to Rich first because he <laughs> he was the one who brought this up. And I don't know whether Ozotone's, Isotope stuff fits in, fits in your life. I mean, but ozone seems to be something that lots and lots of professionals have in their toolbox, right? Yeah, yeah. And they make brilliant stuff in general. This takes the um, the advances shown in the first version of Neutron uh, with respect to machine learning and uh, recommending things to you as starting points for your own excursions into making that particular sound better. Um, they've advanced that into the ozone line, which they view as their mastering line of work and therefore applying it across broader spectrum mixes and things of that nature with different kinds of parameters involved, but still performing that same kind of analysis and offering up those same kinds of suggestions. And then the two of them work together with a third product they've created called, I believe it's Tonal Balance Editor is I believe what they call it. And that's a window you saw briefly in the demo that's neither neutron nor ozone that shows you sort of a four band spectral analysis of a target that you can go for with your mixed products and your mixed products both appear there and and add to that and you can do edits within um selected isotope uh 
plugins within your session from that editor in order to be able to address issues there. Furthermore, you can create those curves, those visual references from either your own work, from somebody else's song, or from a folder of songs where it will analyze all of them with respect to the tonal balance and present you with some sort of visual representation of what you think you want to be shooting for. Yeah, I think that's so going to be pretty Sorry, Rich. stuff. I, yeah, it is. I, and I think the thing that's interesting with that is like, so for instance, if you're mastering an album, you're going for an overall sound to the album. That'd be very useful with that. I don't know. Um, Steve, do you do you master? I mean, is this something that that kind of appeals to? Because mm. it's not just for mastering, but I mean, you know, you can you can use it to kind of final stage pre-mastering as well. Um, yeah, I, I do sometimes, uh, but I tend to prefer to let other people do that uh, for me, just simply because if I've been working for something on such a long time, I really do need a, a fresh um, pair of ears. But I do like uh, what Rich was just saying about the idea of machine learning for a mastering, uh, you know, suite, an idea where you can uh, get the suite to analyze a whole bunch of songs and then make a suggestion um, based on what the algorithm believes should uh, work with the other uh, the, the files. And I'll be, something that I've been doing for quite a while now, now uh, comes to mixing, just to sort of um, double check my mixes is in Logic. Um, I often have like a, a reference mix, like a, um, a, a tune that, that's in a similar field to the tune that I'm doing. And I import it into Logic and play it through the Match EQ and then play my own mix through Match EQ and just see if there's some very obvious um, differences. And if there is, then where my attention next. As Rich was describing, it sounds like but done on steroids or, or by robots, if you know what I mean. Um, so that sounds fascinating. That's certainly something that I, I would uh, want to get into. No question. Yeah, no, it definitely provides a lot of use. I know, uh, Gaz, you do a lot of mastering. And I mean, I know you've been championing Ozone for, for yeah, I don't know when you started using it, but presumably some, some yeah. uh, iterations back, right? 2003, I started using it. And it's been really my bread and butter i mean i you know ozone's been i've done like all the mastering i've done i've used ozone for so i'm a huge fan and yeah i mean god ozone it's i think it's been brilliant and i've been very keen watching it develop through the different uh updates um and like this one now definitely brings some interesting things in like they're, they're being able to hold those reference tracks is great especially as you can have the different regions of the of the reference tracks uh so like choruses you can put out markers into them so the references can be relevant to different areas of the arrangement which i think is cool but i really like the spectral shaper as well because that is a, a very cool way of um, dealing with a particular a, a particular area. Uh, so you would define an area, you know, typically I think around the sort of two to six k kind of area, or maybe one k to six k area, where the harsh frequencies live. And the spectral shaper, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's very simple to use. And you've just got a, uh, like a, um, like a threshold control. Um, but that's really great. It's just subtly taming, um, you know, the really kind of nasty, sharp bits, you know, like um, uh, when 
transients of symbols are just a little bit too grating. Um, so that's quite fun. And also the mastering assistant, um, which I think is actually much better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, so the mastering assistant, you run that and it will uh, set up a bunch of um, it'll set up a bunch of modules with a bunch of starting points. Now, I don't think it it's like different from using presets and I don't like using presets because I feel they're too they're already too established in whatever they're set up uh, for but this is like a different approach to that where it gives you essentially like a preset it doesn't expect you to go but it's with based on the, the it's program material right it's program material and I did a little experiment with that and um loaded in, in in a project i was working in uh just duplicated the project which was um which currently had a, an instance of ozone 7 that had already sort of set up uh it was like a finished master and then i just duplicated it put in uh ozone 8 and ran the mastering assistant and just and then just to sort of just did an a b comparison between the two and I was really impressed how it, it, it was quite similar. Um, and a lot of the decisions a mastering assistant had made uh, were similar kind of things that, uh, that I do. And when I'm mastering, I use an enormous amount of uh, dynamic EQ. And the mastering assistant sets up quite a few um, dynamic EQ uh, nodes, mostly in cuts. And um I was saying this to you on on Saturday, wasn't I, Nick? Um, but I think when you use dynamic EQ, I think something happens that is uh, like a delicious experience. You know, when you hear frequencies moving, like be it opening a filter or a wah-wah pedal, whatever, there's something irresistible about that. So I think that when you've got dynamic EQ and, and, and all these frequencies are subtly moving, I think it just makes the music... Uh, you know, regardless of those being um, actually uh, specifically for fixing certain issues, just the fact that you've got the dynamic, the, the frequencies moving. Makes it, makes it speak it, a bit, yeah. It makes it more engaging. And even you can even chuck those, you can chuck those points in fairly randomly and just get, because the mix starts moving, I think it just draws you into it. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, this uh, Ozone 8 though, it definitely looks like a, um, I haven't really played with it too much. I've only just, uh, I've only just got it, so I'm just, uh, just exploring it. But yeah, definitely seems to be, seems to be pretty good so far. Excellent. I mean, and it's. Uh, I think the various upgrades. I think they're doing discounts on it at the moment. Um, there's an Elements version, ninety nine bucks from one hundred twenty nine. Standard version is one hundred ninety nine from two four nine. Advanced from two nine nine to four nine. And as with all of their stuff, you can do the. Uh, the, the download bit and uh, you can uh, get a sort of free download um, which works I think for 10 days is their standard position so uh, yeah I, I think that's what's really interesting about this is the nature of the of what they're what they're starting to incorporate machine learning we've got another topic which is kind of related to that and uh, but I figure as this is the first part and it is a subject of that we may as well do the competition now because you know we've just been talking about ozone and we've been talking about isotope so uh, last week's competition we asked uh, was was for a copy of rx6 and we asked for uh, um, you to tweet various hashtags to Isotope and Sonic State. And we got a winner of uh, uh, somebody called Slight of Handio, which is uh, at 
at Sleight of Handio. And it said it actually says, hope to meet the Sonic Talk guys at Synthfest on Saturday. And indeed, they may have done, but I don't know. <laughs> but you, you are actually, but bizarrely, the winner this week. And I, as I said, it's a random thing. So it's just one of those random uh, coincidences, which is kind of nice when it works like that. But uh, I should mention it. Um, the competition this week, what we're asking for is you can win a copy of Ozone 8, uh, the final master, we're looking for the hashtag final master and the hashtag ozone eight. So uh, tweet hashtag final master and the hashtag ozone eight to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And you'll be entered for the competition. And that means that uh, you could, uh, well, end up winning one, which is pretty cool. Rich, you sounded like you were about to, to say something well, or just clearing of, your throat. First of all, you never, la- yeah, I was, but uh, you never label anything final. But um, besides that, <laughs> um, um, Steve raised an interesting point that I also think about, which is what is mastering these days as compared to what mastering traditionally was. And to me, if it's just the same guy who mixed it, dumping more stuff on it, that ain't mastering. That's right. what I just said it is. Yeah. Whereas the, the important part about mastering was that you take your polished, finished, heavily lorded over like built up project and you hand it to some other guy and let him do it. That's I think the point as I understand it or understood it, this seems to no longer be the case because it's not, um, shall we say as cost effective as doing it yourself. And here just have this shovel and you can dig the hole yourself, you know? And uh, I don't think it's that simple, but I kind of know that that's where the mastering business is going these days. And that's what they're all thinking. And to that mm-hmm. end, and to the end that there is no longer a studio business that supports enough apprenticeships for people to really learn this stuff on on the job, they kind of have to also build in a pedagogical aspect to it. So people learn from using these things. That's all. Yeah, that's what I, I think that's say. a very good point. And I, I think you're right. In fact, I think it was uh, Russ over at uh, Pro Tools Expert wrote an article where they did, they did a uh, a comparison listening test between Lander, which is the sort of automated mastering test, and and uh, mastering engineers' work, and I think it was it was it was a very close run thing. But I think the master, the, the kind of the, the human ears won by a you know a percentage, not a significant percentage, but a percentage. And it's so you know that yeah. that is decreasing sort of. You know, I I mean I I'm- can't. I don't know about the kind of you know the 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 the, the, the quality or the, the the depth of that research, but it's an interesting point. I'm I'm down on Lander though. I think I don't I don't think that works in my opinion because for me I think when I'm mastering I I, I really let my em- emotional involvement with the music be the guiding factor. Really, I mean I'm really trying to feel what the music is doing, and I'm, I'm trying to use the various tools just to to realize that em- the em- the emotional aspect. And I just don't think that any machine learning can understand that emotional element really i mean i i absolutely i'm driven and guided by my emotional responses to the to the uh you know to the material there's a certain amount of you know oh that's obviously a bit bassy or there are a certain amount of uh technical things that probably an analysis would pick up but ultimately a lot of the decisions and i mean this is the way i work though is driven sort of come from the heart you know come from my feeling really so yeah 
Yeah, I know that's a very good point. I think that uh, you know maybe you should uh, be able to submit a kind of uh, paragraph of text describing what you're going for, and uh, it can somehow pass that. But that comes on to another topic, which is kind of interesting in itself. Which is, I think I found this. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I thought I had. Uh, ah, I think I've actually uh, lost the the clip. Let me just find the, uh, the 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 post. But the the nature of how this sort of thing is starting to come into our uh, more and more into our lives. Let me just find. I found this. It was a great image, which I think really sort of summed up a lot of things. And I wrote a little Facebook post about it, which uh, seems to have piqued a lot of interest. It's done uh, a, certainly almost as much as a cat on a synthesizer. Um, let me just find that image. I can just drop it into a, uh, a web page. I think uh, here we go. Let's see. Yes. Uh, this was this, this kind of gave me the thought that who remembers the Microsoft paperclip? The Microsoft paperclip obviously was an incredibly annoying assistant that you just uh, wouldn't go away. It was like a kind of um, a person that you, is trying to have a conversation and doesn't read the signals that you don't want to talk to them. But you could never. The only way you could do it, it ended up being, you know, a, a, a real sort of part of school. But yeah, it looks like you're applying a lot of reverb on the snare drum. Are you aware it isn't 1982? But that raises these interesting <laughs> questions about, you know, what can machines and what should machines be doing for us? I mean, obviously, most of us, or at least, you know, I, I speak for myself, for those of us, and I'm sure you're the same, uh, Steve, came up through kind of Atari MIDI sequencing remixes where everything was very gridded and that's, that was just uh, of the time. Quantization is kind of probably the... Uh, the, the most obvious uh, machine assistancy in terms of what a computer can do for us now. But as we get more and more complica complicated, I mean, what is it that, that you know, because we're, we're given these visions by people like Isotope and Lander and other, you know, it's not just mastering, all sorts of things. And a range of keyboards, you know, they have a certain amount of machine learning in them and apply musical rules to what you're playing. What is it that, you know, perhaps that they could do that they don't? Uh, and uh, and I thought that would raise an interesting, I'd just be an interesting point to talk about. Um, maybe uh, maybe Steve would like to chip in there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've got a, a lot of thoughts about this kind of thing. Um, and it's interesting looking at the picture of um, Mr. Uh, uh, thing, the, the Microsoft thing we were seeing before, Mr. because yeah. although that was supposed to be an intelligent assistant, the problem was it was just one uh, software company's impression of what a helpful assistant should be. So it's being chipper, you know, it, it's saying, oh, you look like you are writing a letter. Can I help you? Of course, your reaction is no, please go away forever. Um, but I think that where uh, AI um goodness instead is to create a collaborator for us but not a creator that is in the vision of someone from microsoft or even from apple or or you know isotope but a collaborator that we grow ourselves now i know that sounds a bit odd but but what i mean is we've already uh, mentioned that there's um machine learning involved in the isotope mastering suite and so you play it some uh, audio and it comes up with some ideas for how mastering this new piece of audio would fit with the old the other audio but how about a, a learning uh process where the AI learns how you would like to work. What are the kind of results that you um, want? So it's not just giving, um, you know, like you know, EQ curves or dynamic EQ for your mastering. It's not just doing that, but it's also doing other things like making um, suggestions. So, for example, if you were putting a, um, a 
track together that used to work really well on the dance floor and your AI was doing um, some of the mixing for you, it would then point out something like, uh, you know, hey, Steve, within this style, we would expect to find some sub bass occurring at these points, but you've not included that. Would you like me to... A, generate a sub-bass line for you. B, call up a synth- synthesizer, generate this. Um, and, and you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Yeah. And I think that the, the ultimate destination for, probably not the ultimate destination, but something that really excites me is your AI becomes not just your collaborator, but it ultimately becomes your musician, as in, You've grown it, it learns what you want, and then essentially it, it would understand human language to the extent you could go to a, um, I'm in a autumnal mood today, um, could you uh, generate three or four different compositions for me? And these compositions w- would be yours, the same way that programming a drum machine and the mm, sounds that come out is your drum machine part. It's just mm. been generated by your collaborator that you've grown yourself. By the and way, again, I, I yeah. read a lot of yeah, science sorry. fiction. I don't think it's clear. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose again, the the point of that is, you know, again, you know, if it's your input, then it, yeah, I see. I don't know how you feel about this, Rich. I mean, you're a very accomplished player. You could probably, you know, decide what kind of mood or flavor or color you want and and execute it with ease. But some, that sometimes there must be. Uh, things that you think actually it would be great if all i had to do was this at this point and then i don't have to maybe find the loop find the tempo i could just kind of go hey i want to play this and then it the door sort of goes yeah great the tempo's this you want me to set a loop point here's a bass instrument you know you want to add something to it or something like that that would would help speed things up based on your previous decisions Nearly. Well, everybody. <laughs> well, maybe it, unmute it. your mic. That sees you're going to speak. I got it. I got it this time. Uh, <laughs> I got it this time. Um, as a musician, I'm, and and as an audio engineer, there's a part of me, the guy standing on this shoulder over here, that's tempted to just work from what I think I know and come from where I've been and use what I've gathered as information that built my life up to this point of being almost God knows how old I am now. And, um, <laughs> and it's tempting to use that and just say to heck with the rest of it. But what interests me about this technology as it relates to Ozone's products more than with respect to music creation, but with respect to audio and mastering and using plugins on tracks and everything is I don't know everything and neither do you. And so watching something make suggestions to me and then saying, okay, let's mute all that and like put them in one at a time and see how I can use those to my own benefit. That's kind of a cool pursuit to me because uh, it's like when I go into studios and I work with assistants, they're always surprised that I want to know what they would do in a certain circumstance, because just doing what I do all the time doesn't really teach me very much. But learning from the people I'm working with who work with like a ton of other people, and I know that because I was an assistant once, you can find stuff out that you wouldn't otherwise know. So giving the thing a chance to benefit your process is a cool thing, too. And same now I'm less likely to go down that road in some sort of machine assisted music creation process, but I'm not necessarily averse to it either. And I'm not afraid that the machines are running the show. Mm, So I kind of like the idea that these things are available to me uh, as tools to either use or disregard at my will. And occasionally I might like an idea 
for using an exciter that I wouldn't have otherwise put on a mastering channel and what it's doing to this mix that I wouldn't have even thought to try. So there are things that have come along since I basically learned how to do all this that I'm not likely to take into consideration in my workflow that might actually help me. And this is how I learned them. So um, yeah. I like that yeah. aspect of it. And I, like I said earlier, they're assuming that a lot more of their marketplace are people who didn't come up through a established studio system with apprenticeships and learning from their elders and watching how everybody else was doing it. It's much more scattered in individual locations now. So you have to you have to work harder to get your information. At the same time, it's way more available because you can sit and watch YouTube videos all day about how to operate this thing you're trying to learn. Yeah. So, but there isn't a tutor standing there showing you how he uses it. And so now they're kind of finding a way to create that for you. And I think that's probably a good thing, especially in the absence of that system that otherwise teaches people how to do that, you know, person to person. I think that's very well put, actually, Rich. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's a thank good you. point. I mean, I think, um, as you say, that the kind of have you tried doing it this way is definitely something that, that makes sense because you, you wouldn't. And, and to, to, to learn how to do it that way, you go, what's this module? What does what? What does what? And that, that immediately puts a, a period of time in between you doing it. But you go, I guess, excuse me. Gaz, what, what are your feelings about this? I mean, obviously, you've used the mix system, but, you know, in terms of, I mean, I think the, the area at the point of inspiration and composition is where you need shortcuts to a degree because sometimes, as we know, our world can be a bit IT. And if you're scrabbling around going, oh, where's that? What's this? Oh, and then so the moment's gone. To be able to kind of throw ideas in a sort of gently managed situation that enables you just to be creative is probably a good starting point, right? Yes. I, th I mean, I, the one thing that was kind of slightly troubling me about this aspect is that um, I wonder if it's kind of potentially throttling the new brand new music by being based on pre-existing choices or you know that new music really new music doesn't have any precedent so any any uh you know algorithms or assistance or whatever is all going to be based on what's gone before um so i was that's that's what i was wondering about there was that if this is a if this grows and grows whether it's just going to mean that everybody just keeps making the same music over and over again um and that i wonder about some really truly groundbreaking music that's happened in the past you know it wouldn't have happened if uh if these assistants were trying to sort of drag it back to sort of a more traditional or established uh way of doing things um that being said uh like um there are quite interesting ways of working um like a, like on machine for instance uh, there's a thing called the variation engine and if you set up uh the groups and load sort of load it up with a bunch of things set the key that you're going to be working in for that particular um pattern length maybe an eight bar loop for instance and then you can generate random patterns uh and then go in and tweak and adjust the what it's generated to sort of make it, you know. So you end up curating what the machine does to a degree, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's not using any particular AI. It's just more rules of, um, you know, it's just sort of generating content mm. based on the rules that, you, that you've set. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I got yeah, mixed feelings about this really. Uh, f- for that reason, that I I've been trying to do some stuff recently where I'm trying to sort of avoid a- anything that is an established way of doing things. It's really hard, um, but trying to use um, different time signatures and different you know just not using downbeats or trying to sort of remove any uh traditional musical reference points uh i'm very interested to know if there is like a completely new music form out there so well that's um, i mean that's the the kind of uh different sorts of scales and unusual modes i mean you know that nature of applying musical rules to work within it's not something new, is it? I mean, it's composers. It's been used for years and years and years oh, by yeah. various... Because, I mean, obviously, yeah, we've yeah. got a specific amount of notes. It's interesting that. I mean, I think, for me, you know, you, you think that there are uh, quite often patch randomizers in uh, software synthesizers that work within certain boundaries, so you get that. I mean, for me, though, I think just be able to... Because part of it is, oh, I've got an idea and I play it in or I'm playing on a synth, I just hit record on a DAW. I have no idea what the tempo is. I didn't bother to stop and think about it because I just wanted to get that idea in. I'd like uh, maybe a door to be able to kind of sort that out and go, yeah, I think this is it, or at least it can be in some sort of form so that it's a repeatable or loopable thing if that's what you want to do. And also, if I've got basses and chords and, and uh, you know and a, and a melody note, it I, I could say... Can you think of any other ways that I could, that those two relationships could change while staying integrated? And that might, you know, it might offer a different, you know, it's the same way as when I was remixing, you know, you get a song and you throw different chords at it and different roots at it. And suddenly the melody has a completely different meaning because you've changed those inversions and you've changed that. And those always gave me the most satisfaction. It was always by luck because I don't really know what I'm doing musically, you know, theoretically wise. I know what I like to hear and what I like the sound of. I don't know if I go, yeah, I want to do that to it. I wouldn't know how to do that because I'm not fluent enough in the language of music to be able to do it. So some sort of assistant to help to, to make suggestions where it's appropriate, given the material I've already put in, as uh, as I think you were saying, Steve, you know, is is something that appeals to me. Yeah. And I think there are loads of ways that it could happen that that AI could help, or machine learning could help. Yeah, I think uh, what I'd just like to add it was it was kind of interesting what um, Gaz was saying about um, being uh, concerned about all music. If, if we're using these kind of algorithms, that music would tend to uh, sound the same. Um, I'm just thinking that there's been some some big changes in the music technology throughout our lives, like you know programmable drum machines and samplers. And when they came along, um, people were complaining that musicianship out of the um, uh, the uh, music uh, creation process and production and, and everything was sounding the same. But eventually, when these uh, technologies matured. They gave new styles of music. In fact, I would, I would even say that, that um, quantization itself has given us the, the world of dance music that we that exists today. And so I'm just wondering, if we think of uh, machine learning and assistance, like you were just describing, Nick, as being a new tool, I think it's kind of inevitable that it's going to open up a world of new styles. And these styles will be controlled ultimately by the musicians it's not the machines leading the way it's not going to be like um ai uh, composed library and production music that we've heard a lot of recently they're just going to be another set of tools that can take us in a new direction so so nick you you said that when you were remixing you would sometimes put together chords that 
um, weren't the records for the melody that you were remixing. It would take you in a new direction. Well, just imagine, you know, what would happen if somebody who had no musical talent was doing that, but with the help of a learning collaborator, we could be just unlocking a world of creativity there that um, didn't exist before. And I'm thinking a little bit of the um, that album, you know, the Portsmouth Symphony. Did we have heard that? Where they did Symphony, a whole yeah, load they, of... They, um, they're the, the orchestra that yeah. can't play very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's an extraordinary listen. You don't have to listen to it more than once, but it, it's certainly... Um, <laughs> you know, fascinating what happens when you put non-musicians in a room and tell them what to mm. do. I'm not sure where I'm going with this now, but it feels great. Yeah. I got that act, I think I've talked about it before on Sonic, called um, Pork Ticket. And Pork Ticket's musical sort of uh, purpose is to always choose the wrong thing and to constantly try and make disappointing <laughs> choices in the music. And... Uh, <laughs> But the thing is, so, some it's of my quite friends hard, I'd imagine. Pork, yeah, but some of my friends love pork ticket, and I think failing if people love it. But um, it's just it is quite. God, we cry laughing making it. I mean, it's a really good fun to do. It's sort of it's like every musical junction take the wrong choice. Oh no, no, and just a sequence of just wrongness. And um, yeah, it's a little bit like the the Portsmouth uh, Portsmouth Symphonia in that respect. I think just. Uh, <laughs> I wrong, think I should wrong, just quickly wrong. maybe put a little bit of Portsmouth Symphonia into the Yay! mix. So you could just... This is Hall of the Mountain King. Oh, it's a bit quiet. But yeah, I, I don't know if you can hear that, but that is actually just... It's just poor playing, but it's got a thing. I mean, they've been going... I think it's got quite a long... Um, it's got quite a, a, a long history. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of that name for ages, so I don't know how long it's been going on for. But yeah, I suppose the the thing the thing about machine learning, and this is an interesting concept as well, I think, because ultimately, if you take everything and you learn how it works, then the sort of mean or the median of that is bound to be sort of normality and maybe you know maybe too normal so everything will set will center around that point of normality because you're taking a set effectively a measurement of everything you know you're not going to necessarily be moving to the edges unless you figure out algorithms and technology that allow you to then kind of go actually you know, I don't want normal I want you know in all the things that you've basically taken here uh, you've listened to I want you to just focus on the really ed the edges of what you yeah. what of that you know that maybe if that we're able to do those things then that might be an interesting concept as well because it allows you to deviate much more broadly from this kind of amorphous uh normality sorry if that's getting a little bit uh wordy but yeah interesting so you mean like the percentage control underneath the quantize sort of yeah <laughs> but but musically because obviously wrongness is yeah, wrongness but but some I mean, but just deviation. <laughs> to what extent shall we throw away the rules? Um, there should be a slider for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. You've you got a, that, Rich. Do you want a little blast of pork ticket? Oh please, I've just yeah. lined some up. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to regret it. It's horrible. It's thoroughly <laughs> horrible. Here we are. Is it playing? We're not hearing it. We're not hearing it. 
Can I hear that? And he's no. Oh, sorry, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold on, ah. here we go. Live technical debugging. Let's switch to a four-way so we can watch Gas Squirm yeah. on mass. <laughs> oh God, it's really it is. Why am I doing this? Some people think I'm. Now you see, this is a, nice, it's nice. But this to is a perfect example. This is perfect example of why an AI assistant might be useful because you could it would know what you wanted to do and it would just make it so. <laughs> right, I got to program uh, macros to do that. Yeah, you could. Uh, right, okay, there we go. Pork ticket. Is that playing? It was. It was. Oh. <laughs> I quite like that. It's got an aspect, it's got a sort of touch of the Mazorski about it. <laughs> okay, now it's getting a bit more out of there. Okay, I see what you're doing there. That's interesting. I mean, I suppose the thing is that the, uh, the concept of that, it, it's already out there, and those decisions that you've made within that sphere of out there-ness are, are less obvious well that particular oh. tune what i did was i i, I sang the content i sang the i sang uh, like an indian uh takeaway thing that had come through the door i just sang the contents the, you know, the, uh, the menu uh just on on my own just in a really bad way and then we harmonized what i the the you know, chicken do ah. <laughs> and then just so you start with the bad idea to begin with, uh, or essentially yeah. that's your kind of philosophy. Yeah. And, then, and then and then harmonise the wrongness, you know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was, right, okay, uh, interesting. Well, I, anyway, I, I mean, I, but I think there's lots of it. I did get a, a comment from a guy called Ivan Sokolenko uh, on YouTube. He said, uh, sorry, on Facebook, he said it would be cool to make clever decisions in terms of loops and panning. So, for example, you play something on a synth, and once you stop playing, it automatically te- makes it into a loop, detects your tempo, and if you start playing another instrument, it switches to another track, records it, does a similar job. You know, if you're if you're jamming it, and it records it all into RAM without you hearing it, or later on you can look through all these records that were partly arranged by the machine itself. And, you know, those are the sort of things, you know, take my ideas and try and turn them into something that actually works. That could be another thing. So you throw ideas at a machine and it just goes, well, that's in the wrong key, but let's try and sort of mash those together and then I'll take that other bit because that sort of fits into that and makes that sort of random arrangement decisions based on your own input. That's another potential. Anyway, I don't want to spend too long on this because I think there are things in the world such as synthesizers. Uh, Ian from Cork here down, uh, downstairs in the SIP dungeon at uh, Synthfest. Um, these, these are the Rion drift boxes. Yeah, these, these little guys are um, Rayon drift boxes and they are from uh, Osaka in Japan. Um, they're a little boutique synth company, very small operation of just a handful of people, um, and they've been in business since 2015 producing these wonderful drift boxes. I'll leave it there because there aren't an awful lot of sound examples. I think we saw the Rayon Driftbox turn up. Uh, I think Roland did back in maybe 2015, 2016, we're going to do something with uh, the SE, which is like a synth in a box. 
And uh, the first, and, and people were going wild. I think we saw them at Nam that year, and and they got picked up. And obviously that didn't work out. And now Corga look UK are looking to bring the, the entire range in. And I have to say that listening to them uh, at the show. They were massively, monstrously kind of the oscillators just sounded pretty good, but it's and they're sort of effects box style things, but it's still kind of a subtractive synthesis kind of model, but with lots of interesting stuff. I know, um, Steve, I'll come to you first because uh, have you heard of these? Uh, did you see them the first time around when they? Uh, well, I think it was the SE that came along and the Roland. They were going to try and push it out. Uh, no, I'm afraid I didn't. The, the The first I've seen of these units was the. Um, the uh, the video that we had on just there i'm sorry earlier today but i must say they do look really exciting and it did strike me that the sale was tremendous as well do we um do we have a price on these what, what um, they yeah cost? well i didn't get all of the prices but i think the se which is the two voice analog synth um is around about 429 so they are kind of pricey i mean they fit into that concept of uh uh, Volcarish sort of sizes, but they're considerably more expensive. But they are th- they're all through whole stuff, so they're kind of boutique. But uh, Rayon are obviously gearing up to be able to kind of manufacture in higher numbers, which is what Korg are kind of waiting for all of the certification and the- and them to kind of get their chops together. But yeah, they are mm. about um, that's I for the synth. Uh, Four two nine. I don't know. That 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 sounds like you know it could be good. It it it, it uh, I'd have to sort of see one in the flesh, but I I do like the concept behind it. And when uh, all the live shows I've been doing recently, whereas previously I would take out keyboards and and maybe a rack, everything I'm doing these days is like on a a table table top of a. I'm, I'm sure everyone's seen it. A top of a flight case where you put a whole yeah. load of synths and controllers on it. And I don't know. There was just something about these little units and the way they sounded that captured my imagination. I can just picture it, you know, yeah, doing really like nice with these machines around. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I, sometimes it's I the it's sometimes it's the aesthetics of these things, the, the the way they look and how they feel that can be the determining factor, at least for me, as whether I'm going to buy them or not. And uh, I think they look terrific, quite frankly. Um, yeah. yeah. Guys, you saw I mean, them in the flesh, didn't you? You actually turned yes, me on to that I, and said, and go I, down and, and see. I had to play with them too. And so there's a few things. The prices aren't uh, are just suggested prices at the moment. So okay. those prices aren't, aren't fixed. Um, the What I would say about them is, is that the size does actually belie the amount of functionality on them. And there's loads of patch points on the back, on the back sides of them as well. So... Um, so even though they're quite small, they are very feature-rich for this size. I was drawn to the one that had the five joysticks, and the joysticks felt very similar to the one you'd find on a VCS3 in that it's not they're not sprung at all and that they're very sensitive. Um, I mean, I couldn't quite figure out how to operate it, but... Um, they were really fun, though. Just, you know, if you've used a VCS3, you'll know that that joystick has just, uh, it's got, it can have incredible effects just moving them around. So having five of those joysticks, uh, certainly very, you know, uh, well, <laughs> I mean, when you consider some of them control pitch, I'd imagine it's going to be very hard to kind of keep those things in tune. But, um, but what was quite interesting was just the range. I mean, there were, what was there, about six different ones there? Yeah, um, the, the, 
the, the, the synth themselves sounded really good. The, the mixer was the interesting one. It's a four-channel mixer, mm. which could be CV or gate, CV. but it's got memories on yeah. it. So you can use it for mm. routing audio and yes. or CV, which is it's kind of, I said, yeah. as I said to Ian, that's isn't that the Volker mixer that you should have made by now? <laughs> yeah. Oops. And like snapshots, you could store the, all the parameters and snapshots and then sort of walk, uh, morph between different snapshots on there. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean... I think that you know they do seem expensive in one on, on one part, but again, I think they seem expensive because they're small. But you know, if they were a little bit bigger, because they're so feature rich and then such a lot of connectivity on them, I don't think they necessarily are that expensive, really. And there is something highly appealing about them, like like um, like what Steve was saying. Just seeing them all there at synth fest just was uh, oh you know you just wanted them all yeah, you know? set. Uh, exactly it's a bit like the the boutiques have a little bit of that don't they you know just having all the boutiques. yeah I, that's right and the, the the roland room they missed a trick by not having all the boutiques together on a wall somewhere just so you could look at them all and go ooh, they had them all there you know on various <laughs> but not all together so you couldn't not like the boss pedals where they just have an entire mm. wall of boss pedals you've got to do the same thing there i think definitely i did i I had a little play of the DO5 as well in uh, Synthfest. Um, and I, I did enjoy it, actually. I thought, oh, I am quite tempted with one of them. I um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, an aside there. Rich, uh, I know the, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of unusual, an unusual thing. This, this kind of boutique, they did, I, I don't know if you've come across these before because they did get a little bit of uh, uh, publicity yeah, maybe a couple of years ago. This was my first exposure to them that I can recall, and they seemed very impressive. I didn't don't think I realized that they were quite as expensive as they are, but they sounded cool. They did a lot of cool things. Uh, that one last module in particular, where you it was clocking things and routing things, and it just seemed like really oh, the sequencer. Really yeah, that was not. Yeah, it seemed like yeah, a cool. really really clever module to me, but. Uh, and I and there were things I didn't hear from the analog synths that I would have wanted to hear that would give me a better sense. Yeah, of it wasn't really a fully a fully featured demo. That's true. But also the four joystick points that uh, Gaz made totally down with that. And it seems to me that these instruments are very well suited to sort of live improvisational work, which is sort of what I don't see anybody doing with them. But uh, because because you can get so much going on, for example, four joysticks like that. It's um, it's pretty remarkable. I have to just tell you, a bird about, I don't know, three feet, about a meter tall just landed <laughs> on my neighbor's roof. This thing is like a pterodactyl, wow. for crying out loud. It's huge. Was it a heron? I, I don't know what it is, it's, but it's, it's like from the floor <laughs> to here. It's big. Storm. It's coming for you. No, and he's is it yellow, out Rich? There, like, kind of looking because I'm on the second is floor it... and there's a valley next to me. It's not yellow. Are there are there lasers coming out of its eyes? <laughs> to take a picture. No, no, there's nothing. Yeah, go on. Let's see. Nothing. Take a picture. And let's have a look. You can show us a little bit I've later. Never, I've never seen anything this large. <laughs> wow. Live is twitching it? here on uh, Sonic State. <laughs> yeah, you thought it was all to do with audio technology. We're actually now covering wildlife I am and. Sorry uh, if I seem no, that's all right. Fellas. That's all right. I could. I remember once uh, we were at. Um, we were doing a tape where I rented uh, the old uh, Peter Gabriel's old studio out in Bo uh, not in Box uh, in the uh, I can't um, at the I forget what it was actually called Ashley House Ashcombe House where So was made and it was an old cattle shed and. Uh, 
he, you know, it was after So had come out and he built this massive studio and the building was, was left kind of, you know, just as a, as a kind of a dump for the guy who bought the house afterwards. And we went in and we rented the building off him and turned it into a studio for working on an album. And I remember we were doing a vocal in the control room uh, and uh, there was a massive, great sort of picture window uh, in front of the control room with all sort of like that tilted glass. And a heron just landed in the tree right outside and that was standing up. It was, you know, huge. And the whole take was completely, uh, completely uh, lost. I don't know, there must be some stories there about how wildlife <laughs> might have uh, distracted you from a, a fantastic take. I know, I'm Steve, there's so that I'm classic sorry, one about... The, the, there's the classic one about, um, uh, again, a Peter Gabriel studio with the mill where, the, where there's the glass floor and the stream runs below and there was somebody playing drums and uh, a, a, a couple of ducks ran through followed by a golden retriever and that, that broke the take as well. Have you ever had anything <laughs> of a similar note? Uh, no, I, I'm just thinking. I do know that um, that room you're talking about. This is a real net. Um, it's quite extraordinary to have a, a little um, stream running uh, down below. Um, I have two cats that live here with me, and they always play some sort of role in uh, whatever session I've got going on here. But they they're usually quite constructive and cooperative. They have some amazing ideas. Um, so no, nothing's gone wrong so far. But there's always time. Yeah, you never know. Um, okay, we should probably do uh, another. Oh yeah, this uh, this was a piece that uh, Peter Kern put on uh, Create Digital Music, which is now CDM Link. And uh, this is the news that Ableton Live is going sixty four bit only. And obviously, you know, a um, lot of doors. Are, I think Logic's now only sixty four bit. I don't know where the Cubase is. And you know, the advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, for many people, that means that uh, if you're still using thirty bit, thirty two bit only plugins, unless you've got a bridge or some other way of doing it, you know, they're going to be history. But the advantages to having all of that extra um, RAM available to all the plugins and uh, more available to the application, less crashes because of memory uh, loss. Uh, and, and of course, with live, I think they're doing it later in the year. They can install both, of course, if you want to. I'm not sure what I'm running here. I think I do remember one point downloading a 64-bit version, but I don't know if I'm running 64-bit at the moment. Um, I'm guessing, Rich, you probably work pretty much 64-bit only now. I mean, because you're probably running sample libraries and stuff that requires larger amounts of RAM and what have you. I do, um. I, I don't know if I have a really good reason, except that the operating systems are all pretty much 64-bit now. So why the heck not? Um, I, I wish I had a better reason for you than that. Yeah, I guess the resources, and I'm not, I am running current versions of software on everything. So, and I kind of like doing that because I like the feature additions as they come along, and I don't like to plant flags um, and say. Here, I'm stopping right here. And for the rest of my days, I'm going to work there. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, so the operating systems are 64-bit. The new versions of software are 64-bit. And the plug-in menu guys are pretty much all writing their 64-bit versions. So why not? Yeah, I That's suppose me. it's just le- it's just sort of legacy stuff. Hi, right, Steve, yeah. I guess uh, you probably – you're a live guy. Is that your kind of live or logic or is that – um, yeah, I, I use um, I use live for writing and also playing live, and then Logic for finishing stuff up. And I've been sixty four bit now for like a, a really long time. I, so long that I don't. I sort of almost like forgotten the the benefit of going to sixty four really was for me. But what what I think is kind of interesting about this situation is it it throws up the question: What do we do with um, software that we're using? 
um, that's now obsolete and we can't use because there's no um, 64-bit uh, version around. Now, this this isn't, I suppose, so much of a problem uh, these days because most 32-bit uh, programs that are still extant uh, will be upgraded to 64. But if you're using something uh, quite old, I don't know, it puts you in a bit of a, a difficult situation. And I know on many forums, when, uh, like, for example, when Logic went 64-bit only, there were a lot of people complaining that it would obsolete a whole load of plugins they got from back in the day. But I do wonder whether maybe this is part of the deal, if you know what I mean. It's part of the deal of being a digital musician, that all the software that we use is sort of provisional, if you know what I mean. It's it's not got the same kind of lifespan as a as a physical product, um, which is obviously a, a big negative against it. But at the same time, there's so many advantages of going digital that maybe we have to accept that this is the trade to do the These deal, right? Yeah, permanent fixtures within our studio. Yeah, I suppose you, know you can I mean? always have a you can always have a B machine which would run 32 bits and just you know keep that yeah. alive. I suppose you, you but if you really must have it, you can well, run. What, I, what I've done. Oh, with, sorry. So, Do you want to just sorry, come back in, Steve? What I was going to say is that um, yeah, what I've done with uh, my old um, setups is I have a, a of uh, disk images of operating uh, systems before they got upgraded or before Logic went from. Uh, 64 and 32 to 64-bit only, so that it ever turns out that it's absolutely must need from the past, I can uh, recreate that machine on a, let's say, a Mac from eBay for £100, which I've done right. on several occasions, and it, it does tend to work out. So there are ways of turning back time, but it's... Oh, you just take, you just take a system say, snapshot on that, right. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, That's an it's, interesting. It's not terribly convenient, but it can be done. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so you can run both. You could keep a 32-bit version of uh, Ableton running alongside the 64-bit. Yeah, you so, can, yeah. So, it just won't be know, supported after a certain amount of time. That, so, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's, it is it is one of these things. One thing on the positive side, though, is that um, I think it will take like an extremely long time before 64-bit would become uh, obsolete. So I think it's probably worthwhile for people to make the change because um, it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to be faced with it going to 128-bit or anytime soon. I, I mean, probably, I don't know if it will, you know, but uh, there's such a lot of headroom within 64-bit that... Uh, you know, it, it does seem that it, it probably is worthwhile doing it now rather than hanging on. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, like uh, Cubase is 64-bit only, Cubase 9 now. Um, uh, iOS, as we've said, iOS 11 has gone 64-bit. So uh, the interesting point on the Create Digital Music uh, article that, that, this, uh, that we're referencing is that, um, that they're talking about how maintaining a 32-bit and 64-bit yeah. takes up a lot of um, staff time. resources. <clears throat> yeah. Development yeah, 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 time. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. That, so actually, you know, there's going to be Get that more benefit focus. for more focus, you know, quicker updates and maybe, you know, so I think it 
considering it has been what almost like a gosh i don't know how long the transition point has been it's certainly five six years hasn't it of transitioning from 32 bit to 64 bit so uh yeah i don't think this is a, in any way a, a a bad thing i think it's a good thing no. and, you know you just know do and it, it does give you just do it i think so i think so yeah um, the, I don't know if it's gone past, but I think Wagyu in the chat room said we need to get to 16 exabytes memory requirements before 128 bit is required. But never say never. That's a very good point. But yeah, I mean, as we've all yeah, said yeah. in the past, yeah, there's always a possibility. You never know. Um, let's have a look. I'm just trying to see what else um, that we've got here that would probably squeeze in. Uh, oh, did uh, did anyone see this one? This uh, was it. What, what number is it? It's number three, I think. This is the band, uh, the Academic, and a track called Bear Claws. And they, what they've done is they've used the delay in the kind of like we're using with uh, Facebook, the delay in it happening and coming back to to create a kind of vid- video and audio looper to hey. build their track. And it's oh. really very cleverly done. So as you see in the background, what's happening is hey. as the next oh. scene comes in and they're filming it, you get that kind of kaleidoscope effect that you get with. Uh, um, uh, when you point your camera at the monitor that you're monitoring the camera on. And it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And it's actually quite a cool track. And I just thought I'd never heard of anything like that. And it's one of those uh, one of those neat... It's worthy of OK Go, this. And it's had something like, what was it, uh, over uh, over a million views, hey. 1,300,000. Hey. If I bring it all forward a bit, then we'll get a bit more. So that uh, I wonder how they did it. They must have had some kind of a, a, a click track, obviously, because there's some some stuff that's not happening. Let's see, there's some there's some drums in it as well. I just thought, what a brilliant idea uh, to do. I, I don't know whether we could do anything similar, but uh, I, it must have taken quite a lot of working out. I know, Steve, is that sort of thing that uh, d- does that kind of nifty use of that technology? I've never seen that done before. Have you? Um. Uh, no, not like that. It, it excites me greatly because, you know, we were talking before about how if everything gets taken over by AI, we'll end up with just mundane, average music. Um, but these guys, have ta- have, and what the future requires, which is to take existing technology and push it right to the edge and do something that we haven't seen before in a kind of exciting way. I, I, just looking at the, the little bit of the clip that there, um, what they need really impressive um but it's not perfect um and maybe that's kind of the point it's sort of it's cutting edge it's it's showing you the excitement of um of discovering something new that you could do with technology even though it's you know um it's it's not completely perfect so i I find this uh this sort of thing really interesting and i remember uh back in the day and and that day would be 1992 when i made a video with a a band up in uh, middlesbrough and we did the the really simple thing of just turning the camera to face the monitor and you get that kind of instant space out effect that used to be used on uh top of the pops where the image just repeats really really quickly yeah video feedback it reminded me yeah, yeah exactly um but this is uh, way better than what I did. So well done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Rich. Nice to see. Nice to see a bit of innovation in some department. I mean, obviously, you know, this worked for them. I mean, marketing, you know, and having a sort of USP and something unique is is a great thing. And I hope it results in some success and some revenue for them. Because it must have taken a bit of working out, I'd imagine. Well, yeah, they have to calculate what the delay is. You have to figure a tempo that's going to work into some even numbered series of beats within that delay framework and then you start 
from the beginning with that tempo in mind. And as uh, Steve says, viva the little differences. And you get little uh, somewhere, something between feel issues and discrepancies. But um, And the interesting thing is the more you pile on, the less obvious they become. But um, this this gets to the whole looper pedal technology thing. And uh, people have gotten really good at that. And you go out nowadays and you see two guys with guitars in their hands or a guitarist and a singer with a darbuka or something or a djembe. And uh, the guitarist is looping the song and then jamming over it. And there's a lot of looper technology out there. And this to me is an extension of looper technology. It's just using different means to get there, but it's musically about the same. And to me, the king of looper technology these days is Jacob Collier who actually does concerts where he sits there and creates entire pieces of music in front of 12,000 people on a stage and they sit there in rapt attention and uh, yeah. he's incredibly good at it. And he's incredibly good at getting the take immediately. He, he doesn't yeah, and that's falter really very problem. much. That's true. Of course, Ed Sheeran, uh, same, same deal. Uh, and also um, they did that as a live stream as well. So the whole thing was actually going mm -hmm. out into the world live. I know, pretty neat, guys. It's sort of worthy of a worthy of one of those kind of, it's like a sort of shoestring idea executed <laughs> to great effect, right? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that, that the latency was so solid, you know, that, that you could rely <laughs> on the latency not changing. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if it is entirely... <laughs> Did they do it live then, or did they? I believe do it? so. Yeah, I mean that's how it starts right. out. I'm okay. going to try something right. now. I wonder what the latency is on this one. So if I do that, I'll be able to tell you when it comes in on uh, Facebook. So that's probably about two seconds. <laughs> uh, carry on talking, guys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Six. Uh, uh, probably about long? ten seconds that was. So that's not too bad. But, um, okay. So yeah. So you'd work out what the BPM would work in ten for ten seconds. Uh, yeah, cool. I mean, brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it's just one of those things where these guys have just sort of seen this thing and and grabbed it. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, great. And I mean, it, the other thing is, it's like I'd never heard of the band before, and now I've heard of them, so it's certainly worked. Does the job, doesn't of, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just on the point of looping and how that is uh, an art form and how it's almost. Um, it's it, that whole world has evolved and evolved and evolved and people have taken it to the next level. And um, Beardy Man, who we did a feature on, um, I think was it last year, uh, was going out and doing, um, making an album live every night, going out, asking the audience for... Um, oh, God, yeah, that's insane, theory. isn't it? Yeah, and then he expanded that, though, from doing it just with himself to having a whole band and uh, just sort of building an album with a band. And then they did it live on Six Music, on BBC Radio Six Music, uh, you know, like a whole album worth of material made up on the spot. But that's all really sounded like complete music. Very, very impressive indeed. Yeah. 
Yeah, really good stuff. Anyway, I just I, and there was a synth in that video. I think it might have been a mini Nova or possibly a microcorg, but I just thought just to bring it back to the music technology aspect <laughs> of it as well, just for a second. Um, but yeah, oh, and I was going to uh, also uh, before we go, let me just bring in our, uh, my own piece of music technology, which you could buy directly from us. Wave Junction, of course, Max for Live synthesizer. In fact, you might have seen a thing that we did with Feel and Kane. Uh, there was a Ableton Max for Live kind of stand. This has got. Two oscillators, multi-mode oscillators with three multi-mode filters and five elopes, five LFOs, wavetable synthesis, 12 slot modulation matrix. Really is a very powerful synthesizer. Uh, up to four voices. Uh, it all runs in Max for Live and you can buy it directly from us uh, using the discount code 10% WJTalk17. Uh, bit.ly slash wave junction where you need to go so bit.ly slash wave junction wjtalk17 get you that discount and you can uh, enjoy hours and hours of fun and support the site too what more could you ask uh, yes that was rather remiss of me not to get that in any sooner because i think i'm probably uh, we're just at the point to um to, to bring the show to an end because I'm heading off because today is a special day for me, sort of, or at least I'm going to go and celebrate it. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go out and have a pizza. So I need to finish at a reasonable time. Um, so thank you, Gaz, for joining us, um, coming in yeah. there. That's great to have you as ever. Oh, you've got the cord bot. I've got a cord bot, yeah. So I'm going to be exploring this over the next few, uh, the next week or so. Uh, this has just arrived. Um we covered this on the show, didn't we? When it was uh, on Kickstarter. Oops, I'm doing it it's wrong now way. an actual thing. <laughs> it's an actual thing, and physically very, very nice. Um, it is. It feels like quite early days in terms of the software on it. Um, they got caught by the the strange phenomena of Kickstarter of having um, stretch goals, having some quite ambitious stretch goals, and um, Unfortunately for them, it reached all the stretch goals. I say unfortunately because it meant that they had to, because, uh, I mean, there was going to originally be just six knobs and six pads and a, 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 an LCD screen. All right, so they had to expand it massively. So pretty much as soon as they reached the end of the Kickstarter, they had to pretty much go back to the drawing board and sort of re redesign it, um, which has meant that it's been quite a lot longer coming however i can report at this point that physically and it feels really good i like all of the the physical nature of it um there is going to be a sequencer coming into it that's not implemented now um but uh that will be coming um but yeah i mean it, it, i'm going to oh, make a little video yeah look forward to hearing some mm. of that um yeah. oh can, actually can before ask, we go what is it oh yeah Yes, go, Steve. Sorry, I was just wanted to ask Gaz, what does it actually do? I haven't seen this before. It looks fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a unique thing. It's got, it's essentially, it's called a chord bot, and you can kind of think of it as a, as a chord assistant in a way. So it's got MIDI DIN, uh, and it's got USB, and it's also got Bluetooth MIDI in it. Uh, so you can think of it, it's no sounds in it, so it's just a controller, but um, you can, along here, I don't know if you can make that out, it's got a, a lot of uh, defined chord names, uh, and like you can hold a key and press one of these. You know, we've seen this kind of thing before on um, on some like a range of keyboards, I think, um, but there's an arpeggiator in it too, and 
and a lot of these controls let you manipulate the arpeggiator in real time. And uh, but there's also a chord assistant mode if you put it into like a diatonic mode. Uh, so when you hold down, uh, if you hold down a chord, it'll light up other chords which are which will work with it. You know, it'll suggest. So, so suggest the next one. Yeah, and every single key and everything on here has got little red backlit. Uh, so if I was to hold down a chord, the the notes would light up behind the keyboard to show which notes are in it. Uh, so there's a lot of nifty little hardware pieces on there. And you can kind of think of it as a songwriting tool. Um, I, you know, it's I think it's got quite a unique aspect oh, to sure. it. Almost uh, related to what we've been talking about, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, thought it was worth worth showing, and uh, and it's nicely made as well. It feels good, um, and, you know. Uh, on the back as well, we've got a, like a sustain pedal input and a foot switch input. So, you know, it's um, yeah. Oh, there's a strum strip here as well, so you oh, can right, so use you it a little bit a like a omni chord kind of things. You know, um, so you oh, can like, hold, press a chord and then strum through the notes on here. Can you press more than one chord at a time? uh no i don't think so um but i think what's what is quite cool about it is that um that the the, the processor that's running the whole thing is i think they've got quite a juicy processor in there so there's a lot of potential with it i think uh so i think early adopters like the kickstarter people and anyone who was to buy them now uh i think the the good thing is it's uh there's a lot of interesting stuff coming including this chord sequencer mode which i think that when the sequencer is fully implemented i think that would be really cool they don't intend it to be like a hub like a sequencer hub where it you know it's a multi-track channel sequencer but if it was integrating with various pieces of kit and you just used it just to sequence chord chord uh you know um chords on there but uh one nifty thing is though is that every single key can be assigned to a different midi channel all right uh, so it so works you... as a control well well we'll look forward to your full wow. review of that at some point um that'd mm. be really interesting i did yeah. want to ask one more question cool. before i say goodbye to everybody has anyone seen blade runner 2049 yet yeah i have yesterday i saw it <laughs> i saw it so, on um Friday. I haven't yet. is it any good it's um yeah, I went down. There's a there's a new cinema just down the road from here uh, with a fantastic sound system screen, and um, I checked how long the movie was before I went there because I wanted to know God, what am I in for. All I can say is, by the time two and a half late hours later when the film ended, I was surprised how short it was. Ah, it didn't okay. drag for a moment. It was excellent. And is the music yeah, all I it could be because it's got a lot to live up to, right? Um, yeah, it, it, there are moments where it's got that Vangelis thing, but it, hmm. there's various um, aspects of the film where it's very clear that they're reflecting the original, which is completely fine. Obviously, it's a sequel. But hmm. with, with, you don't have that many awkward moments where you've got Hammer trying to be Vangelis. It, he's taking it in a different direction, and it, and it deafens. I loved right. it, quite frankly. Hmm. So, Rich, thought, yeah. you, you famously haven't been to see Blade Runner at all <laughs> ever any of them have you got are you going to go and see this one <laughs> i i could is <laughs> am i likely to no because i'm never likely to go to a movie theater in america these days but um 
but uh, I, you know, I wouldn't run from the room with, with my hands over my ears. You know, it's not like some form of religious belief. It's just I, I not just haven't been, haven't, way, haven't made it yet. I don't expect to go out of my way. However, if I get a chance to watch it downstairs and listen to it on my system, yeah, maybe. Well, it'll be a little while, yeah. Especially but, okay. because who did who did the soundtrack, Hans? Hans Zimmer and I've forgotten the yeah. name of the other guy, but yeah. Yeah, well, that I'd listen to, sure. I got, Gaz, um, did you see it? Yeah. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I went yesterday to see it. Uh, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, I it. I thought it was everything I I was hoping it to be, really, and and a whole lot more. Um, uh, the the production design. I really enjoyed the music in it. I've seen quite a few people grumbling about it online. Yeah, there's been well, you always um, get a bit of a back a backlash of these things. Yeah, so. and some people claiming that it's misogynistic, and I just don't get that at all. I you know I don't think I don't think that's particularly fair. I think it's a, a really well made film, and I, I totally agree um, with Steve in that the, the long running time is it doesn't drag. It's really. F- I, it, you, you really are quite engrossed in it, and uh, I loved, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Did you go three D or two D? I went three D. Th- yeah, I, yeah, I'm thinking I went about 3D. doing that. I'm thinking about yeah, doing I mean, that. it's one of them things, and I understand that you know you do lose the brightness. You do get like a much duller, darker experience of the three D. But uh, the reason we decided to see it in three D was one of those things of um, it's been if made you're watching for it, it in two D. Yeah, you're watching it in 2D. You'd be wondering, I wonder what it was like in 3D. But when I was watching it in 3D, I wasn't wondering what it was like in 2D. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Okay, well, thank you for all of that uh, input. Uh, Gaz, thank you very much for joining us. Been a pleasure having you as ever. And uh, I hope to see you again very soon. Uh, Also, Steve Steve Hillier, thank you very much for joining us too. It's been a pleasure having you. Although you might have, oh no, I thought you'd frozen then for a minute. You're just obviously some kind of uh, ninja master, can just stay still for hours. Are you balanced on one leg at the same time? Yeah. No. Uh, I've just got a cat here on my lap. (laughs) Ah, okay. And uh, also, Rich, thank you very much for joining us too. Lovely to have you aboard again. and uh, I don't know if you're, are you on your travels again or are you, oh, you've got more touring stuff, right? Coming up. First, let's make sure my microphone's on. Yes, it, it is. is. One, two. <laughs> um, I am doing, I'm traveling to a super secret location this weekend oh, for, a, nice. uh, for a private gig and back. And then uh, as some of you may know, the following week or the last Coming up to the last weekend of the uh, month, uh, we're coming to the UK and England and uh, and Ireland. We're playing in Dublin, Liverpool, and London, and then we're doing some broadcast stuff while we're in London. So I'll be around a bit. Excellent. Well, hey. I'm going to be I, I I'm going to be away uh, from the 24th. I've got a a, a a a piece lined up. We did an interview with Rob uh, failed muso Robbie per- Pericelli uh, on his Fairlight that he's been restoring. So there's a piece that's going to go in at that Wednesday, but I won't be around for that Wednesday. But uh, I don't know if you're going to be in the country at the same time as me. Uh, I, I hope what? so, and maybe we can hook up. It would be nice. What well, what Dublin, date are you in London? Um, well, it's Dublin 25, Liverpool 26, London 27 at the O2, and then um, in London through the weekend. And Monday, we're doing some kind of recording for the BBC. Ah, so well, I'm, I'm there actually... until Tuesday. Oh, man. And I think I go up on the second, which I think is a Thursday. 
to speak at yes. uh, We Are Robots. So I don't suppose you'll still be around. That's a shame. That could have been perfect. No, but gosh, can, darn it. Can I just... Can I just give a quick yes, plug for the, the, Asteroid, the Asteroid Deluxe album launch on the 3rd of November in the Cube in Bristol for The Lawn. The album's called The Lawn, so we're calling it The Launch. Oh, very good. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, tickets are on sale now. If anyone wants to come, it is brilliant. We've got a proper, really good... Uh, we've got um, it, There's a piece of software called Resolume, and it's amazing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Do you know it? Yeah, uh, yes. video. So we... We got a guy who's using a, an Akai APC40, a chap called David Hopkinson. He's an absolute expert at it, and he's assembled lots of visuals. And, to um, go along with it. Oh, so it's excellent. like having, a, having another member of the band, but doing all, all the visuals. So, yeah, so if anyone fancies that, 3rd of November, yeah. I might plug it again if I'm on the show before then, so okay. I do. <laughs> Great. Righty-ho. Well, I think that's it for this week. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Don't forget to enter the competition. Uh, I think I mentioned that earlier. You tweet the hashtag FinalMaster and the hashtag Ozone8 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc., and that will get you entered to win a copy of Isotope's Ozone8. Uh, that's it, for the, as I said, for this week. We'll see you next time. We can all wave Yay. as we go. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>